If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 John. Uh, 1 John chapter 2 will be, again, right towards the end in verse 28 this morning, right where we left off last week as we work our way through the letter of 1 John. And as you're turning there, I just want to share something about uh, the way that John writes uh, throughout much of this. You see, when John is writing, he seems to always have creation in the back of his mind. The, The writings of John always seem to have this backdrop of the narrative of creation, the story of creation uh, right behind them. There is this pattern that flows from the creation story into the gospel of John and on into this letter of 1 John as well. And so let me just kind of show you some of what this is. Genesis starts in the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created And on the very first day of creation, God says, let there be light. And there was light, right? God speaks and it happens. This is how God creates. God calls forth light and light comes into being. Then on the last day of creation, God says, let us make humankind in our image and our likeness. And humanity is created in God's image and likeness, all right? And this is this pattern, right? And so we see this in the beginning of the gospel of John as well. The gospel of John begins, in the beginning was the word and moves on to creation. All things came into being through him, right? And it goes on to say, in him was life, and that life was the light of the world, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this movement from the beginning and creation to light shining in the darkness. And then uh, as John continues his prologue to the gospel, he then writes, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of men, but of God, right? So from from the beginning of creation to the shining of light to the children of God, the creation of humanity in God's likeness, born of him. And this very same pattern exists in the letter of 1 John, right? It begins, what was from the beginning, and goes on to refer to Jesus as the word of life. And then, just a few weeks ago, he he goes on to proclaim that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And today, in the passage that we read, we will see this pattern continue. As John writes that those who abide in him are born of him, are called children of him. Of God. So this pattern of creation and light and birth continues to underscore the overall theme of 1 John that we have been talking about all along. Who God is determines who we are, right? God is light, and so we walk in the light as he is in the light. God is our Father, And so we, 
as his children, created in his image and likeness, look like him. We share a family resemblance, all right? Who God is determines who we are. I absolutely love this passage that we're reading today, so let's dig in. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he is revealed, we may have confidence and not be put to shame before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who does right has been born of him. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. But beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Everyone who commits sin is a child of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born of God do not sin, because God's seed abides in them. They cannot sin, because they have been born of God. The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that you have called us your beloved children. Lord, I pray that as we reflect on the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a few years ago, I got to take one of those ancestry DNA tests that they have, right? I spit into a tube, shipped it off, and a few weeks later got an email telling me where I'm from, who I am, everything about myself, right? And it's amazing what they can tell from a tube of spit, right? 
I mean, they traced my heritage all the way back to the British Isles, mostly English, but a bit of Scottish, Irish, and Welsh. This is thrilling to learn. I love all of that kind of stuff. But what was also very interesting is that they were able to trace me back to a group of immigrants referred to as the Southern Settlers, uh, those who moved to America and settled in southern states like Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, and so on, right? And this is true, right? You all know that I'm originally from Texas. I grew up there, and for generations, my family lived mostly in the south, in, in Texas, Louisiana, Georgia, so on and so forth. I think there might be one branch of my family that lived up in New York and then made their way down, but for the most part, that was where my, my family originated whenever, once upon a time, they came to America. And it's amazing that they could tell that from me spitting into a tube and sending it off to them, right? And incredible. A few years ago, Caitlin also did one of these, and I remember there was this big reveal sort of gathering that we had with her family one night as she pulled it out and looked through all the results and stuff. It, it, was, it was very exciting. Have any of you done one of those tests, a few of you? Yeah, I, I'd love to hear about what you learned from it at some point. It'd be a fun conversation to have. But, but you see, our history, our heritage, our ancestry, our family origins are part of who we are, right? I mean, it shapes who we are. It shapes what we do and how we are in the world. And so whether a modern DNA test or an ancient genealogy list it's something that we seek out and pursue, right? I mean, this is what all of those long lists you come across in the Old Testament and some in the New Testament are, right? It's their version of that DNA test. Say, hey, this is who you are. This is where you come from. And I mean, think of all of the epic stories that hinge on discovering family, right? I mean, there are ancient legends like the sort of startling and disturbing story of Oedipus, or there's the adventures of Hercules, who turns out to be the son of the gods. Uh, then there's modern movies, right? Like, like Star Wars, that famous line, no, I am your father, right? Uh, or there's, uh, if you've seen the, the sort of cartoon version of Anastasia, right? This little orphan girl who learns that she is actually the empress's daughter, at the end of the movie. These stories of family revelations work their way deep into our hearts and move us. They become these really memorable stories and memorable moments. And the gospel is one of these kinds of stories. The gospel is a family revelation story. You see, our passage today that we have just read works kind of like one of those DNA kits. You know, you open it up and you see who you are and where you're from. We open up to 1 John chapter 3, and we learn that we are called children of God. This is who we are. This is where we are from, right? And the DNA test, so to speak, is in verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who does right has been born of him. This is the basic idea throughout this whole passage, 
The children of God share family resemblance. The children of God share a family resemblance. We look like our dad, right? We look like God, our father. So God is light, so we walk in the light. God is righteous, so as God's children, we do what is right. We look like our father. Now, this works the other way around as well. Uh, Remember from last week, John is not only writing to encourage his readers, he's also writing to warn them. You know, last week we read he warns them of antichrists, those who deny Jesus and seek to deceive the people of Jesus. And he offers the very same warning here. Uh, In in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, he writes, Little children, let no one deceive you. Right? And then he goes on to restate this principle of family resemblance. He says, Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. But everyone who commits sin is a child of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And so the children of God look like God. And the children of the devil look like the devil. And this same language is used in the Gospel of John during a conflict between Jesus and some of the Jewish officials and authorities. They are denying him, and they're just getting ready to pick up stones to throw at him. And Jesus says to them, You are from your father the devil, and you choose to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In other words, Jesus is saying, those stones in your hands That refusal to believe the truth is because you're following in the footsteps of your father, the devil, who is a murderer and a liar. So of course you're picking up stones. Of course you refuse to believe me, who is the truth, right? This, once more, is that principle of family resemblance. Jesus uses a different image to say the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. You know them by their fruits, right? So John summarizes this principle once again right at the end of the passage in verse 10. He says, the children of God and the children of the devil— are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. And I love this. With this summary statement at the end of the passage, John adds another element of family resemblance, because it's not just how we live in relation to God our Father, but also how we live in relation to our siblings, to our brothers and sisters as well. You know, another classic movie family reveal moment is the movie Parent Trap, right? 
Uh, Two girls who bump into each other at summer camp and realize, whoa, I have a sister because they're identical twins, right? Uh, This is another one of those moments. We don't only look like our father by doing what is right, but also we look like each other by loving one another. And so this is this principle that, that is all through the passage, this principle of family resemblance. But if we stop here, and that's all that we take away from this passage, then we risk heading out into this next week with the idea, well, I had better really try hard not to sin, and I better try really hard to do what is right so that I can be a child of God, right? I mean, if that's all that we get from this passage, then we could easily walk out in that way. But that's exactly the opposite of what this passage is teaching. That's exactly the opposite of what it's saying. Uh, Let me put it this way. Our church family has some children in it, right? And they're not here today, uh, but follow follow me along, right? Um, So if you've ever seen Miri and Ava, they kind of look like Matt and Corrine, right? There's a family resemblance there. Um, Or, you know, if you ever take a look at Isabella and Isaac, who I believe are are home with a little bit of sickness this morning with with Katie, but if you ever see them, they look a little bit like Aaron and Katie, right? right? There is family resemblance, but here's what didn't happen. Right? Matt and Crean didn't go to the hospital one day and look around at babies until they found a couple that looked like them. And we're like, that, those ones are ours, right? Let's bring them home because they look like us. That's not what happened. You know, Aaron and Katie didn't pull up on Amazon and scroll through babies and find some that looked like them and order that model, right? That's not what happened, right? That would be crazy. Neither does God come down and look throughout humanity through all the people until he finds the ones who are righteous enough and loving enough to call his kids. That's not what God does. Look, we do not do righteousness and love one another in order to be God's children. We do righteousness and love one another because we are God's children. And that makes all the difference in the world. That makes all the difference in the world. Righteousness does not earn us status as God's children. It results from the reality that we are God's children. Matt, Corrine, Aaron, and Katie did not choose their kids because they look like them. Their kids look like them because they are their children. We are God's children, not because of what we do, but because of the power of God's love. And that's what John emphasizes right in the middle of this passage. And I love it. I love it. Now, my guess is that some of us really struggle to believe this. You know, either we struggle to believe that God actually is loving, 
Or, if we do believe that, then at the very least, we struggle to believe that we could possibly be his beloved children, right? I mean, anybody here with me in that? that that's a struggle. We doubt who God is, or we doubt who we are in him. But John cuts all of that off with the first few verses of chapter 3. And these are some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. And what's interesting is that they actually kind of read like an aside. Like, they're not part of, of John's main argument here about family resemblance. Uh, but they're absolutely crucial. So, so what's going on? You know, in 2.29, John is talking about doing what is right. And then if you look down a few verses, in 3 verse 4, he kind of gets back on track and, and talks about doing what is wrong, right? And the rest of the, the passage that we write, he's kind of comparing these two things. The, you know, those who do what is right and those who do what is wrong, on and on. But right in between, those first few verses of chapter 3, it's kind of like he goes off on a tangent for just a few verses. And, and it's almost like he gets to the end of verse 229, and that phrase, born of him, whoever does what is right is born of him. And he just pauses and is overcome with awe and begins to worship. He says, those who do right are born of him. Oh, see what love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Right? I, I love this. It's this outburst of praise that John gives right in the middle of what he's explaining. And I love how it reads in the NIV. See what love the Father has lavished on us. I mean, you can just hear how overwhelmed John is at this wonderful, incredible truth. And I want to remind you where we started this morning. All right? John always has this backdrop of creation as he writes. He's always informed by that story of creation. And we see that here as well. Remember, how was it that God created? What did he do? Right? He said, let there be light. And there was light. Right? He speaks and it happens. And the very same thing happens right here. It, it said, he says, look at the lavish love of the Father. He has called us his children, and so we are. He said, let them be my children, and so we are. I, I, I just love it. You know, some of us just can't believe this, thinking, oh man, I am too sinful to be loved by God. I am too ashamed to be his child. I know myself too well. I'm a child of the devil, not a child of God, right? I mean, just look at my heart. But hear this. What John is saying is that the very same power that was at work in creation is also at work in redemption. 
The very same power that was at work in creation is also at work in redemption. Just as he spoke and creation burst forth, so now he speaks his love and you are his child. You are his children. He speaks and it happens. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. No sin that we commit, no lie of the devil can get in the way of this love. Look back at 3 verse 5. You know that he was revealed to take away sins. In him there is no sin. And again, in 3 verse 8, the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to take away sin, to destroy the works of the devil, and to create a whole new people. Which is why verse 9 goes on to say, those who have been born of God do not sin because God's seed abides in them. They cannot sin because they have been born of God. Right? That phrase, God's seed, is an actual reference to DNA, right? Like the seed of a plant or like the chromosomes that parents contribute to children, God's DNA abides in us. And so John says, we do not and cannot sin because we are his children. We begin to look like him. Now, again, my guess is you're reading this and you're going, but wait, hang on a second. This just isn't true, <laughs> Right? I mean, I sin, right? What, what does this mean? What, what do we do with all of this? I want to pay attention again to some of the verbs that we hear throughout this passage, right? And just look closely at this. Now, we've, we've just looked at a couple of places. There's this word that occurs over and over again. It's this word, reveal, or some translations say, appear right? And again, in verse 3, uh, in chapter 3, verse 5, it says, you know that he was revealed to take away sin. And in 3.8, the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil, right? Those are past tense, right? He was revealed for this purpose. He appeared in the past in order to take away sins and destroy the works of the devil, but then look at how else this word appears. If you look in verse 2, right in the middle of this outburst from John, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now. But what we will be has not yet been revealed. We do know this. When he is revealed, we will be like him. 
for we will see him as he is. Do you see this tension in the passage? There are these past tense verbs. You know, he was revealed to destroy sin. He was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. And yet, what will be has not yet been revealed. When he is revealed, we will be like him. So why do we still struggle with sin? Why do we still wrestle with our own identity? Because we're living in between. It's because we're living in between these things. There is this tension at the heart of the kingdom of God that it is already here and now, but it is not quite yet here. It is here, but it is still coming. And so it is with our identity. Beloved, you are God's children now. And yet, what we will be has not yet fully come to be, has not yet been revealed. So we're living in this tension of what is and what will be. And this is what it means to be children of God in this age, at this time. And there are some other verbs here that are, that are hard to identify, but it's all these verbs about doing what is right versus doing what is wrong. And different translations uh, treat them differently, right? Uh, some just say doing what is right, uh, committing sin. Some translations might say practicing righteousness or practicing sin. All of these verbs are present tense. They're communicating our being right now. And so we are called to live in righteousness. But at times, we sin. At times, we do what is wrong. Because we live in this tension of ultimate reality. And so, you know, there, there was a, a, a time uh, that I was actually assigned to preach this very text uh, about 10 years ago. It may have been the very first sermon that I ever preached uh, in a formal setting. Um, and, and I just love this passage. And, and I, I, I remember doing this, and I'm just going to do it to you guys too. If you're a note taker, if you want to write down at the top, you know, a great title for this passage, you can write down overcoming sin, overcoming sin, right? You know, that was actually the uh, assignment that I was given whenever I was given this text to, to preach uh, where I was 10 years ago. Uh, you know, preach on this text, and the theme is overcoming sin. And so, you know, I said, all right, this is, this is the thing. And, and to all the note takers, I said, all right, have you written that down? Go ahead and cross it out. So if you did it, just cross that right on out, right? And if you're type A, you're losing your mind right now. Um, cross that out, because that's not actually the point of this passage. Overcoming sin is not the point. The point is what it says in verse 2. When he is revealed, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. It's not about overcoming sin. It's about seeing Jesus. It's about seeing him as he is, in part now, but hoping for that day 
when we see in full, which is what he says in verse 3. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. How are we purified? Not by overcoming sin. Not by doing a bunch of righteous deeds. We are purified by hoping in him. By looking for that day when he will be revealed. When what we are will be revealed. That is what this passage is all about. And so once again, we see these words that recur over and over again throughout the letter of John, and it's that word, abide. It's what he opened with. Little children, abide in him so that when he is revealed, we may have confidence and not be put to shame before him at his coming. And so as we close, I just want to share a few words about what it means to see Jesus and abide in him. Seeing and abiding. And there, there are three things that, that come to my mind. The, the first thing is looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, right? This, this is where we begin. By setting our hearts and our minds on Jesus and who he is. Uh, we do this as we come together to worship each week. Worship, prayer, immersing ourselves in the story of Scripture. We must be a people who look to Jesus in all that we do, who seek to worship him, be formed by who he is and what he has done. And so seeing Jesus means looking to him and worship and prayer and the story of Scripture. I know that I'm kind of a broken record because I'm saying this all the time, but I really encourage and challenge you to try to carve out some space in your day, in your week, to pray and to read Scripture. And prayer is not just, hey God, here's everything that I'm thinking and all the stuff I need. That's a good place. But that's not all that prayer is, right? Looking to Jesus means also listening. And sometimes just sitting in silence. Resting in that lavish love of God. This is how we look to Jesus. Another way that we can abide in him is by looking for Jesus everywhere that we go. Not just looking to him, but looking for him. Uh, I was recently reading the, um, from the Gospel of Luke, and I came across this passage that is just amazing. Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of God, and he says, The kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or, Oh, there it is. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. Or another way of translating that is within you. And what this means, or at least one of the things that, that I believe this means, is that the kingdom of God is not primarily found in our circumstances, in things that happen to us or for us or so on and so forth, but rather 
The kingdom of God is found in how our hearts respond to the things that happen to us and for us, right? Finding a parking spot that's convenient is not necessarily the hand of God, right? That's not necessarily the kingdom of God happening. However, when you give thanks to God for it, that's the kingdom of God. You know, um, so, some kind of miraculous thing happening, so, you know, healing uh, occurring, someone, you know, having a, whether it's a surgery or some kind of medical procedure, that's not necessarily the kingdom of God happening. But when we give thanks to God, that's the kingdom of God. When what happens in our hearts is turning to him, that's the kingdom of God happening within us. Right? Whenever we turn toward one another, to love one another, that's the kingdom of God happening. Whenever a tragedy strikes, we can easily say, where, where is God? Right? Where is his kingdom now? But when we respond with grief and mourning, that's the kingdom of God. Because God mourns and grieves over tragedy, right? The kingdom of God is not seen in observable things. It's what happens within us. I think this is what Jesus was saying whenever he began the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Over and over again, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. The peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, right? These are not things which can be observed. They're things that happen within. Uh, there's a, a really uh, kind of popular sort of television show style thing called The Chosen. Uh, some of you may be familiar with it. It's this kind of dramatized telling of the story of Jesus. It's incredibly well done. I highly recommend it. Uh, it it's great. Uh, at the very end of season two, which was just completed um, a few months ago, uh, they get to the Sermon on the Mount moment in this the story. And I love what the, the character of Jesus in this particular show says about it. You know, he, he tells Matthew, who he's kind of talking with about this, hey, I know how I want to start the sermon. I'm going to start it with a map. And Matthew goes, what? Okay. And then, you know, he, he gets ready, and, and Jesus then begins to, to say these words. And after he speaks all of these words of blessing to the poor, the mourning, the meek, so on and so forth, Matthew follows up with him and says, I thought you said you were starting with a map. And he said, it is. If you want to find me, go look for those people. And I think that's beautiful. If you want to find Jesus, look for the poor in spirit. If you want to find Jesus, look for the ones who are mourning. If you want to find Jesus, look for the meek, the least of these. 
If you want to find Jesus, look for the ones who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, which can also be translated justice. If you want to find Jesus, look for the people who are merciful, the ones who are pure in heart, the ones who are making peace in the world, the ones who are persecuted because of righteousness. I love that. So seeing and abiding means not only looking to Jesus— and prayer, and worship, but looking for him, that kingdom of God that exists within. These people who Jesus calls blessed, looking for him. And then finally, seeing and abiding means looking like Jesus. That's when we begin to become those who look like our Father in heaven when we begin sharing in that family resemblance. And this could mean serving one another. You know, looking like him as we turn toward one another in service, in, in generosity and kindness that pursues, that goes out of our way to be together. This could also look like, in solitude, remaining faithful right? Remember all of those moments in the desert whenever Jesus was tempted. If you are the Son of God, right? But he remained faithful. Every temptation is an opportunity to draw closer to God. Every distraction is an opportunity to return our attention to God. This is what it means to look like Jesus, whether in solitude or in service. This is what seeing and abiding is like. Looking to Jesus, looking for Jesus, and looking like Jesus as we become his hands and feet and take on that family resemblance. That's my prayer for us as we continue to live into the identity that God has given us as the children, beloved children of God. May it be so. Amen.